Welcome to What It Takes to Be Wild. My name is Grace and I am your host. What It Takes to Be Wild is a podcast created to encourage and support women to realize that no matter who they think they are, they can always become who they really want to be. Help us grow our audience by following us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and by visiting, liking, and sharing about us on Facebook and Instagram. Take a second right now and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Today we have a very enlightening interview with our special Caribbean guest, Christina Zanato. But before we get started, I would like to invite you to consider a few questions in your mind during this podcast. First, think about your beliefs about sharks. Are they mean? Scary? Are they inherently dangerous? How would you compare them to a pet, like a dog or a cat? Take a few seconds and establish that for yourself. Second, think about dolphins. How do you see them? Are they cute? Are they kind? Are they always helpful? Are they safe? Take a few seconds to think about that. Then lastly, think about something in your life that's troubling you. What do you believe about it? Name one thing about it that you believe is true, something that has been defining your actions around the situation. At the end of this interview, I will invite you to answer these questions again for yourself and reflect on the show in a particular way that just might change the way you see your situation. Christina is what they call a shark whisperer. She scuba dives with the sharks and builds real relationships with them so that she can remove fishing hooks stuck in their mouth. If you haven't seen the video of her swimming with the sharks, visit our Facebook page and take a look. She says sharks are very kind and gentle and remind her of our relationships with dogs or cats. She is here today to share her story of how she chose and pursued this passion and what it is like to be a friend of very misunderstood animals. Welcome, Christina. Thank you, Grace. Happy to be here. Thank you. So tell us, how do you get to being a caretaker of sharks? It was a childhood dream. I had I was eight years old and had this dream of becoming an underwater scuba ranger who would roam the oceans protecting the reef from careless divers. And in that dream, I would have sharks for friends. And uh, when, you're, when you're a child, uh, some people dream about being an astronaut, some people dream about being a ballerina, but usually you're also told that dreams don't necessarily come true. It's very hard to always have you know, someone that supports and say, oh, that's a great idea. You want to become a trapeze artist and you should go for it. Usually is uh, you should go to school, you should receive a degree, you should find something that allows you to do. I'm pretty sure there's people out there that have had families that actually supported them in becoming trapeze artists, but I'm saying in general, that is it. So I put the dream away as I was growing up and I uh, follow another dream, which was uh, communication, learning to communicate. And this actually proved vital in going back to the shark world. And I went to school to learn languages. I speak five languages, English included, is not my first language. And through a series of coincidences, uh, 20 some years later, I landed in the Bahamas. I learned how to scuba dive. I discovered they had sharks. And in a week, I completely turned my life around. And using those languages, I actually abandoned everything I had built so far to then start rebuilding so that I could be in the water with that childhood dream of being an underwater scuba ranger with sharks for friends. Is it 26 years in the making? 
And uh, going back to the communication, I was always been so fascinated with communication. So when I entered the underwater world, which Jacques Cousteau defined as the a silent world, which is not really true, it's actually very, very noisy um, um, environment. The underwater world is full of cracks and pops and uh, clicks and all sorts of noises that the reef and the fish make. But when I encountered the sharks, and under the mentorship of Ben Rose, I realized that communication went beyond the languages and beyond the uh, verbal and entered different dimensions. And that was a dimension of the sharks. So I explore of languages and communication. I started to look into how do I connect with something that is considered to be having a brain as small as a walnut, which is not true, as something that is supposed to be emotionless, which is not true. How do I connect with something like that? So it was two childhood dreams come true, being able to communicate uh, all these languages and then discovering this new language and then being this underwater scuba ranger that could actually have sharks for friends. I'm just like, I'm floored by the whole thing, really. And I'd love to hear more about how that uh, communication is different. Like, what is the communication with sharks that is so like another language? Well, when people think about communication, and this happens quite a lot with animals, uh, they base it on how we communicate. So you can hear, oh, uh, certain animals can only communicate on a level of a three-year-old because they can only uh, formulate so many uh, sentences or so many uh, basically communication levels. But for me, what it was is instead of expecting the sharks to communicate on my level, was for me to understand how they communicate and basically interpret their communication. So people call me the shark whisperer, but I actually like to call myself the shark listener. And it's a listening done through observation. So their communication is different, is body language uh, for me. Uh, but for them, imagine this is a creature with eight senses. So their communication goes uh, through uh, quite a lot, for example, of scent, which we don't have on the water, but they do. So they communicate amongst themselves through hormones and through secretions or certain vibrations, and they communicate through certain, uh, like they exude something if they're in pain or if they're in peril or if there's something active, like, oh, I just found food. And so watching that communication, which we have no access to, basically taught me that they have this complete different language. And the only way I can interpret that is uh, through some of their body language, but I'm missing out on a lot. I'm basically a three-year-old learning to speak a new language with them. But is, that is the fascinating part is I think we need to step out of our box of thinking, oh, this is how communication works. And it's kind of like, well, it doesn't. And if you think about it, you know, we talk about the dogs. You mentioned the sharks being like dogs. Um, unfortunately, they're more like cats. They come when they're really, really interested, and they go when they're not interested, and they decide everything. They're the masters of the situation. But dogs understand us very well. Sit, you know, stay, uh, high five, and all of that. But when they bark, sometimes, unless we're like super specialized people or, you know, some of the unique people out there, even my dogs, when they bark, I'm like, oh, why they're barking? Some barks we can recognize. We're like, oh, this is a fearful bark. 
or this is like a threatening bark. But some barks, even to this day, sometimes I'm like, oh, why is the dog barking? Okay, there's no puppy out of the window. There's no boat traveling through the canal. Why is the dog barking? Why is he trying to communicate? So that's how I did the communication is I just tried to, to listen to them and then adapt. And through that, I discovered they do change. They do have uh, different predispositions according to the day. According to the weather, they're very much related to the weather. And according also to the humans' interactions and presence with them. So I can go down there in any given part of my day, and just by looking at the shark's behavior as I approach, I can tell if maybe somebody's been coming too close to fish. So they agitated them because maybe they caught some fish that was, you know, wiggling on the line and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're being kind of like activated in their hunting senses of hunting after the fish that they've been hooked. Or I can tell if they're nice and relaxed. They are absolutely unapproachable three to four days before a hurricane comes. This I verify many times over. They become very intense. Thanks to COVID-19, I actually started to compare them to the people that went for the toilet paper. So they become like this hoarder that I feel like they just want a provision. So all of a sudden, three to four days before the hurricane comes, the weather here becomes fantastic because the hurricane sucks all the bad, bad weather away. In this calm before the storm is when the sharks goes into this hyped up uh, behavior. And I think all their feeling is uh, through their body, through the water, through the barometric pressure changes that something is coming. And so they become more like intense and they want to provision more and they want more fish and more food and all of that. And so through the years, I just sat there and watched them and said, oh, this is, this happened and this is what they're doing. And so I collected this communication system into my brain. All I do is I adapt to them and work with them depending on their day and their predisposition. So I do not expect them to adapt to me. I adapt to them. And I think as human beings and creatures that we portray ourselves and define ourselves as being of a higher intelligence, I think that is the approach to have with animals in, in general, not only the sharks, is let's see what they have to say. Let's hear what they have to say. Let's observe what they have to communicate, whatever the system is, but they're very capable of communicating. They communicate very well amongst themselves too. You were saying before that other sharks know to come to you to get the hooks out. They're yes. like communicating it. So I have a basic group of sharks that I've known for many years, some of which like up to 14 years. And I want the people to understand, I don't go around the oceans trying to remove hooks from all the sharks. I don't approach sharks that I really don't know. This is a group of sharks. They're out in the wild. They're a mile offshore in about 50 feet of water in the ocean. But these are sharks that I go and visit on a regular basis. However, the group has dynamics. So there's a core of sharks that stay. And then some sharks that come and go within the group. These are Caribbean reef sharks and some nurse sharks. But the interesting part is when I start removing hooks from the sharks, I know on the outer skirts of the action, I start seeing sharks with hooks that I don't know. And when I say I know is because I do recognize every individual that is 
normally on my dive. These are stationary sharks, they're not migratory sharks. And so I physically recognize each and every one of them. I recognize them from physical characteristic, from their behavior. I can even recognize them from a distance how they swim. Each one of them swims a little bit differently. So even if I see just a, a dark shadow of a shark swimming towards me, by looking at how they're moving their tail and how their head is swinging from side to side, I know which shark it is. So when someone that is not part of the group comes in, I can actually easily recognize that. And they seem to attract sharks with other hooks. When I start removing hooks from the sharks, I know. So then I have to start convincing the new sharks that I'm not threatening, that I'm not dangerous. Imagine I'm like this big thing blowing bubbles, making a lot of noise with all this metal, the tank and all that sort of kind of like send out a lot of vibes that scares these animals. And I have to convince us like, no, no, come here. I am actually, you know, safe. And so I call it, it's like a dance, right? It's just trying to convince the shark to relax and come in closer. And I don't go right away for the hook. I first build the trust. It's like, hey, if you come in closer, here's a fish for you. And see, that one doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt like the hook. And it might take dives, not one dive, but dives, many dives. And then I start going for the hook once the shark has relaxed and start being comfortable. It's really intense. Like I'm, I'm like so listening intently and visualizing these sharks. And you said they have emotions too, right? You can yes, tell. They like- don't obviously, and again, you know, we, we, I can't expect them to have the emotions, for example, of, of a dog or of, of a mammal. They have their kind of emotions, but I see sharks as very vulnerable creature and I've seen them very fearful. I also seen them very uncomfortable. I've seen them very reluctant to sue all these motions. You know, I've, I've seen them in pain. A pain is an emotion. We always think about, oh, it's not emotion. It's like, it's actually a very big emotion, both the physical and mental. So they go through a certain range of emotions. I've seen them discipline each other. So I've seen, you know, dominant sharks can all come in the same as a dog would do if a puppy is a little bit too annoying. The adult dog might snap back and give a little bit of a growl. I've seen the big females when the smaller sharks come in and a little bit of an intrusion into their swimming path, uh, give them a snap jaw. They don't bite them. They just go snap with their jaws. And it's kind of like, get out of my way. You're being a little bit of a pesky puppy. And so it's really, really, really nice to watch it. But for me, the, the most you know, touching thing is that I see them as this most innocent creature. They have the clearest soul that I ever met. There's, there is nothing vicious about this animal. They, in a certain way, maybe they're a little bit, you know, simple, basic, but they have no conniving intention. A shark has a certain things dictated by nature, and they go by those while trying simply to preserve themselves to live, to procreate, and to actually interact with their oceans and their surrounding the same way all predators do, which is coexistence. They don't aimlessly go around snapping at everything, eating everything, and biting everything. They're actually very careful in the use of their energy. It takes a long time for sharks actually to decide to take a bite or to decide to actually it's time to feed for the most time, they coexist amongst the schools of fish, amongst themselves, amongst other species. So it, for me, the 
the best part. I, I, when I look at them, when I have them in my lap, when I touch them, my heart fills up with a little bit of like, sometimes a little bit of sorrow, you know, I, I wish I could do more. I wish I could also have people see them as I see them. They're so vulnerable. They're so literally innocent and they're mentally innocent. There's no vicious shark out there. There's a very straightforward. Uh, I think if humans had the uh, level of directness the sharks have, we wouldn't have all sorts of issues amongst ourselves of friendship and backstabbing and uh, things that our society sometimes force us to do, you know, knock somebody down to be better through tricks and all of that. I actually look at sharks and I'm like, they're so perfect to be with and understand. It sounds actually pretty comforting. If they are comforting. For me, it's very peaceful to be with the sharks. When I enter the water and I see sharks, everything that I've been thinking, worrying, obviously, you know, on the surface, sometimes I still worry. Everything that's been upset in me just lifts. Everything goes away and I am feeling happy and at home. And I'm pretty sure they feel it too. Is some of the people that have been diving with me said that even when I don't have the food, someone else has the food, the sharks will instinctually come to me first. And again, we go back to, I had people say, well, how do they recognize you with your mask and the regulator and the chain mail and all of that? And it's like, most likely they can smell me. They can feel my heartbeat. They can feel my brain waves. I wonder, you know, which level they can feel how I move and walk through the water. They have a lateral line so they can also perceive movement. The same way my dog can recognize the stranger steps, right, at the stairs. And they bark at the stranger, but when my next door neighbor, she comes up the stairs, the dogs don't even move, don't even open their eyes because they recognize her steps. So imagine an animal with eight senses. They're down there checking, 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 checking. And so I think they're able to just feel all this calmness and happiness and how I feel. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, maybe they don't know it's Christina, but it's like, oh, that's the, you know, relaxed one. I recognize this vibe. I've known this vibe now for a while. So I'm going to go towards this safe vibe. And contrary to popular belief, uh, what is really funny, they actually don't like, especially my Caribbean resharks, they tend to avoid people that are very anxious and tense. They're kind of like swim towards them and then give them like a little bit of a wider berth going, oh, your energy is off. Same as get, we will give a wider berth to somebody in the office that drunk too much coffee or something like that. But it's really funny. They actually do not like people that are too hyped up. They actually keep a wider berth. And I've seen that even in Fiji with the bull sharks which everybody thinks is the most, you know, quote-unquote aggressive animal with a lot of testosterone. But in certain environments, when you're scuba diving with them, if you're extremely tense, they'll keep a wider berth. If you're comfortable, they'll swim over your head, behind you, over in the side, and kind of like feel comfortable to be closer to you. You know, it brings up this question for me about, you know, we think about sharks as being, oh, that, that's that scary animal that eats people. And then you think about dolphins as like, a really nice animal that loves people. And so I'm curious how you compare those two, knowing knowing the animals much more than the average person. Oh, this is not going to make me very popular. Dolphins are an extremely dangerous animal. 
because you're an extremely intelligent animal. So I don't want to take anything away from the dolphins. It's one of the most intelligent creatures out there, them together with their, you know, the killer whales or the orcas, let's call them like that, which are dolphins as well, the biggest of the dolphins. But because of the high intelligence level, they also have a wider range of emotion. So dolphins are conniving. Dolphins are a vengeful. Dolphin can actually be aggressive for the purpose of being maybe spiteful or teasing. So my admiration for dolphins is the level of uh, capabilities with communications, with emotions, with uh, thinking, with planning. I mean, they just absolutely very, very close to some of the other animals that we're familiar with. But from a safety point of view, if you want to compare wild dolphins and wild sharks, they're actually not that safe. I always discourage people to jump in the water with certain species of uh, mammals without knowing, without being under protective care or someone, an operator that knows, because they do have emotional reactions to our presence. That's how I compare them. I actually find sharks like easier to be with. Dolphins, you actually have to really adapt to also their moods and really understand what's going on. I love that it's so counterintuitive and how like wrongly educated we are in so many ways that when you get into reality, that it's different than what you would think. Yeah. things like that too. I'm not trying to say it's not safe to go in the water with dolphins. I mean, there's people that swim with wild dolphins many parts of the world and um, orcas and all of that. What I'm saying is that we need to really understand that this is a highly intelligent animal with a high level of emotions, and we need to be careful with, with that. I mean, there are actually facts, unfortunately, have shown when these animals are not in a uh, balanced emotional state, they become actually harmful towards people in uh, uh, in a way that is not for feeding purposes. So let's differentiate a shark that uh, bites a human, which is very few and far between compared to the millions of people going in water, is uh, simply in that moment, the human has become uh, identified as a possible uh, food source. So there's very few sharks that would uh, feed on an animal, an animal our size. Most of the encounters are usually with four or five of the biggest species. And it would take a full podcast just to talk about why sometimes the sharks bite human. But let's say there's about an average of five attacks per year, right? Those are simply in that moment, wrong time, wrong place. In that moment, the shark identified the person as a possible food source. With uh, the mammals, we have seen that in the news as well. It is an intentional harm to the human caused by the, an emotional reaction. It's not for the purpose of feeding. It's not a direct instinctual, uh, natural behavior. Said, oh, yes, in that moment, I can see your food. And so that is the difference. And it's spectacular in the intelligence level of the dolphins. But again, don't underestimate just because the, you know, bottlenose dolphin, Tursiptroncatus, has this cute little smile on their faces. They are actually, and they're uh, extremely powerful animals. I mean, an eight to nine foot dolphin can be 500 pounds. Nothing to mess with, it sounds like, either. <laughs> no, don't want to piss off a dolphin. <laughs> no, you, you definitely don't. And so, you know... 
it's just, it's an animal just to be aware with. You know, I just want dumb people, and and that is the thing. Don't just put them in a box and say, oh, dolphins are like this and sharks are like that. And just actually, there's quite a huge difference. And then we need also to go from you know shark to shark and dolphin to dolphin in situations. It's case related. One size does not fit all ever. Right. That's such a huge point. And I'm curious, after so many years that you've spent in the water and with different animals, particularly sharks, it sounds like a lot of the things that you've learned are transferable to life in some way. So I'm curious what one or two of those things might be that you transferred to your own life outside the There's water. There's quite a lot of lessons that you can transfer from sharks to our life. I actually... I have a presentation called the shark wisdom, you know, lessons learned from living with sharks. Um, the first one is, and I think it's a big one that I've learned uh, very quickly is uh, the same one that we just said, do not judge the book by the cover. And so do not stereotype. And I think it's in this uh, age and of social media and everything that happens is uh, sometimes I see uh, quite a lot of very angry and mean behaviors. Uh, uh, people hiding behind what it's called the keyboard. We we all know these people. They're bully of the cyber bullies, but they will write something and they'll go, "Oh, you say so and so because you are, you know." And this is box, 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 and it's like. Every person has a personality and a story. Uh, they have vulnerability and they have issues that sometimes can make them actually aggressive. So they, they have one paw caught in a, in a clamp and it hurts and somebody gets too close and they just lash out. So with the sharks, what I've learned is definitely do not stereotype. Do not pe- put people in these boxes. Do not judge the book by the cover. Give people a chance. Give them an opportunity. I wish sometimes also some people that communicate with me will sometimes also be mindful and give me sometimes a chance and an opportunity rather than starting with an attack. That is one of the biggest lessons I've learned. Um, of the other ones that I've learned that I think is very, very important is select your bite. Sharks don't go indiscriminately around just going, oh, I'm going to go snap, 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 swim, 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 snap, snap, snap. This is a lot of wasted energy, right? They'll consider many times over before approaching what is, could be perceived as a potential prey. Even when I have a dead, bleeding fish in my hands, the sharks are not familiar with the procedures, will take a long time to go, oh, I'm definitely going to go for that fish. I wish people could see how long it takes me to make a shark comfortable enough to come in to take a fish off my hand. You would think that as soon as they jump in, they just swarm to just bite and feed, and and that's not. So select your bites. Invest the energy in what is worth investing. And start discerning between the things that are worth your investment and the ones that are not. So at the same time, if you want to apply it to life is... There are the times where you're going to say, I'm going to go for that. It's going to be a long, hard swim, and it's going to be a lot of work, but it's really worth it because I've analyzed like a shark does. They analyze, is it worth the swim? Does it smell good enough? Is this? And they have all these boxes that they tick before they go for the final bite, right? And so it's the same thing for us. It's like, is, is it worth it? Because if it's worth it, I'm going to go for it. 
even if it takes a long swim and a lot of work and a lot of chases and all of that. But then I can also analyze and go, wow, this requires a lot of swim, a lot of this and all that. Is it really worth it? It's like, well, no, that's, uh, and I'm saying something silly, like that's one shrimp. It's like, yeah, well, I'm a 300 pounds shark. What am I going to do with one shrimp? Never mind. I'm not going to put all this investment into that. And so if you want to translate it is almost like, you know, do not sweat the small stuff. Just keep focus on the big things in balance out the investment that you put it in with the reward that you want to receive. Make sure the ticket price is the one that you want to pay. So those are two of, I think, most vital lessons I've learned from sharks. Yeah, that makes me think of before we started the podcast, we talked a little bit about you following your passion. And what you commented was like, there's a cost uh, sometimes to following your passion. And so I was wondering if you could speak a little a little bit to that. Yeah, so when I receive a lot of requests of um, I want to be you or I want to do what you do. And it's very hard to explain to people the complexity of my job, which is not just being in the water with sharks. In order for me to spend four to five hours a day in the water with sharks, there's quite a lot of work that goes before I arrive to the water, after I exit the water, all the education that I had to acquire, the gear, the all the work and investments, even just the podcasts or the webinars or the presentations of the articles, the papers I've been reading and all of that. So when people say, I want to do be like you, it's very hard to just explain how the entire complexity is. What I tell people, and, and this is something I come up with, it's, uh, I, I tell people life is half a choices. It's 50-50. You can only live 50% of something. And I give an example. You can be uh, a bachelor who goes around and has a carefree life, parties, and has a great time, can travel, can do all these things. Or you can be a family man, for example, with kids. Now, we're talking about correct people, not the ones that are married with kids and still do the bachelor life. And it's, you can experience both. You can do 50% one time in your lifetime, and then you can do 50% the other one in your lifetime. But your life cannot be 100%. You have to make choices. What you have to make sure for me is when you pick the 50%, is it is a 50% in the eyes of everyone else. Oh, Christina, you, you know, you never married, you never had kids, you never did this, you never did that. There's quite a lot of those. But when I look at that life, for me, when I wake up, my life is worth 100%. And so that is the 50-50. From a point of view of cost is the same one that I was saying about the sharks, is to evaluate which is the ticket price that you want to put into your choices. And that could be as basic as, do you want to spend $800 on a pair of heels? Why? What's your motivation? If that is your worth the ticket prices for whatever those heels make you feel, then you spend the $800. So what does it mean? Oh, you have to work you know, 90 hours a week to be able to wear those $800 heels. And some people have that as a price. And, and that's okay. That's their choice. So for me, it was the same thing. What is the price I had to pay for what I'm having? My price has been, for me, very high, especially 26 years later. When you're 22 or 25 or 27, when you're 30, up to 35, and a little bit later, you know, parents will live forever, 
mom and dad are still, you know, walking wispy and my mom and I only have 21 years difference. So at 45, I, she was, I was 24. My goodness, you know, just that time ticks and time takes away uh, opportunities. I missed every of my father's birthdays because it comes up in the middle of the summer. And I went home for his 80th birthday in July 2018, and that was his last birthday. He turned 80 and then died a few months later. It is a price I paid. I missed all of our holidays together, all our family um, celebrations. For me, my parents are a big part of my life, who I am and what I do, and the pedestal upon which I stand. And they pay the price. Um, we're paying a price right now. My mom is in Italy in the red zone. And I was reading an article about how my access to Italy might not be through 2021. So it's a price that I paid and it's a price that unfortunately I made them pay, but they never faltered. I also paid um, other prices. <laughs> Island life sounds fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I have I live, I think, in on an island that I think has been rated like the one of the tenth most beautiful beaches in the world. But it's an island. And a lot of people come here and they're like, oh, life in paradise. And it's like, yeah, it's 100 miles long by six miles wide. That's it. And then when you have a certain kind of job, it doesn't give you that kind of money where you say, oh, I'm just going to go and travel every few months. Those are the people that then pay the other price, the 90 hours a week and live in New York and decide to do that. And by all means, they I've watched them. They have some of the most amazing adventures. Their adventures include coming here to see me, but it's not a price I want to pay. So uh, living on an island is a transient world is really interesting. I, I, it's people come and go. So through the years, I would make these uh, phenomenal friendships. But then the people stayed maybe one year or two years, and then they left. And so I had these. I have these amazing friends to this day, but they're not here. I can count on the fingers of one hand the people that I can call on on a snap of the fingers here on the island to go. My heart is broken and I feel like this. And this is my soul that is real. True friends, they're on a finger, you know, on one hand fingers because some of the relationships come and go like that. Yes, I can call still my friend who's in California, but I'm talking about, can I come and, you know, sit on your couch and drink a cup of tea? So those are some of the prices I've paid, the transient, uh, the family relationships and it is also a financial choice. And, and I, I, it's not a, a pity party, but it's like, this is one of the richest jobs I ever done. My apartment is full, is rich of memories and experience and uh, things that I can say, oh, that was a, from that diver and this was when we did this and this is what I found in the back of the cave. But I actually walk out of my apartment and leave my door unlocked because I have no preciousness, no precious materials to lose. Mind you, I also have two giant dogs in it, so <laughs> that might help. But what I'm saying is it's a very mentally 
and soul enriching job. But it is a job that requires a financial sacrifice. It's not really well paid as much as people think. It's very expensive to maintain all your gear and all of that. So it's a, it's a job. It's a labor of love. But if you love it, you wake up every morning looking forward to. And how worth is that price tag, right? You, I don't have to wait for weekends. I don't have to wait for vacations. I don't have to go on expeditions. I have expeditions on the back door. I can hang up from you. Actually, well, it's five. We saw the COVID. And I can actually pack my gear and go cave diving. And chances are I can go cave diving where there's tunnels that nobody has ever seen before. I'll be the first person ever to explore this infinity. I can pick up my gear and go out with the sharks on a snap of the fingers. That is, I can explore the known and the unknown on, on a day-to-day basis. I don't even have to pack my bags. And that is what is worth for me. That is what is a soul enriching and is worth all the price tags. But I've also seen a lot of people coming here with those dreams and realizing after one or two years, and by all means, that's their choices, to say, wow, that's a steep price tag to, to pay. And it doesn't really come with a quick reward. It's like, no, you also have to put in put in time and I'm not saying this to discourage people if somebody said is it worth it I would say absolutely it's very worth it it's just I've seen something that when I came home and went into my marine creature identification book it wasn't there it was put there four years later I've seen octopi being born in the middle of the night I found unique creatures in the depths of the cave I heard whales are singing. I watched pods of dolphins are swimming by the hundreds. I say hello to my friend, Dianemone, that has been here for 16 years. Wow. I had fish swimming into my chest, you know, during the dive. And they, every time they see me, they just swim up to me. I don't even feed them. I had communications with, with groupers. So that is what is really worth it. And I encourage everyone to to actually... Maybe put less expectations on themselves of what they are supposed to do and really maybe go for what really they really want to do and bite down hard. I mean, select that bite, but when you bite, bite down hard and hold on to it because it has amazing rewards. Wow. I'm so moved by you. really awesome. You know what I love about the way that you talk about things is that it's very grounded and very real and you're very related to life. And um, certainly there are people, you know, who could do something like what you do and make it very um, sort of, I'm so great. Look what I do. And clearly they're not present to the joy that that thing has innately in it. And you clearly are. And I, I think it's wonderful and it's so nice to be in touch with that. Um, It feels really um, inspiring and you really have made me think about my immediate choices that I have in front of me as well. So I thank you so much for that. Thank you. I, I think what you're doing is actually spectacular in itself. And again, it's not easy to sit up, you know, talks and empower women and do your research. So, um, for the little that I can see, that is just actually beautiful what you're doing. 
And so I thank you for having me here and for allowing myself to express myself like that. I haven't done that in a while. Oh, great. Yeah. I'm, I like listening. So (laughs) similar to you, I guess, in a way of listening to people differently than how we usually do. Um, But the shark thing really makes me think about how I listen. (laughs) Like I have like eight senses. Like what would it be like to have more senses? What would I be hearing? You know? It's such a great reflective question. In my own work with coaching people, you know, like, can I listen from eight places? <laughs> In a certain way, I think we can. I actually, you want to laugh, I'm terrible on reading people's personality on the surface. I have this, uh, I've had, uh, sometimes it's been chiseled away by negative experiences in life, but by nature, I'm a very trustworthy, you know, give it all I have kind of hard to know. Oh, you want footage? Here's a footage. Oh, you want pictures? Here's a pictures. And, you know, sometimes that has been chiseled away by people's behavior that, you know, conniving behavior that I've talked about. But when I go underwater and actually the verbal communication is missing. I can actually read the people really, really well. And it's, uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny. It's become my little trademark. And I joke with people. I said, oh, I'm an under, underwater psychologist. And it goes as simple as someone telling me, oh, I am not this or I am that. And just because of their body language, which is one of the few things that I can observe underwater, I can say, oh, you're saying this. But your body language is completely different. And so then we surface and I say, look at the video. You see, you're telling me, oh, no, no, it's not this. But you look at your body language, and that's all I can can hear that, right? So I can actually, um, once I can't physically hear you anymore, then I can actually really hear you and listen to you the same way I do with sharks. I'm a surface and terrible. I can never identify one from the other. But as soon as we hit the water, I can tell you what's your block, what is your wall, what is your fear, why you're here doing this with me with the sharks, and how can I chisel around that so that you can actually have a full personal experience that goes beyond your, you know, box expectations or list of achievements and all of that. And 95% of the time, I'm actually able to open these people up and introduce them into something new and, and different. And uh, a lot of them tell me that the experience of sharing the sharks with me, the one-on-one experience that I teach has changed their view on lives and the, the way they want to live and has changed even just their complete lives. And I forge incredible friendship through those changes. So it's actually really interesting. Absolutely. Well, you definitely have me sold on wanting to come down and, and just have that. It's almost like a psychological experience of, it's just like skydiving in a sense. Like I, I was terrified of skydiving, right? But I got myself out of the plane and just by going through that process, I became a different person Um, by getting across that threshold of fear. Even though you can think through all the rational things, you still have this body like intensive reaction. And um, you sold me on wanting to like get in the water with sharks and like have that response and like learn, learn about myself from that response as well as experience these amazing animals. Good to hear. Yeah. 
Do you have a program or something? <laughs> I yes, I actually, I actually do. I, I do. It's called I, it's Shark Handling Experience, which is a one-day, two dives, and a shark, shark handling course, which is actually three full days of full immersion. So imagine one is more like a try, like a tandem skydive, and the other one is like your skydiving course. And during these experiences, I only teach one-on-one. You have to be a certified scuba diver. And I'll take you down in full chainmail next to me. Obviously, I'm your shortcut, right? I can tell my sharks. I can read them. I can tell you where to go, what to do. There's all sorts of procedures. But it allows yourself to do what I call shark yourself. And so you are down there with me, and I'm inviting you to reach out and pet the sharks on the head, to uh, reach out and let them come in, to welcome them into your chest. You have a protection like you should have when you skydive you know like parachute and all of that the helmet and all these important things but it's like really a new experience so yes i do that and there is a uh, on my website it's very simple christinazenato.com is the list of the courses i teach both with sharks and in technical and specifically cave diving which is another one that uh, triggers quite a lot of them uh, emotional responses and interest and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I learned to scuba dive briefly. I didn't make it through the course because the claustrophobic experience was so difficult. And I have all these skydiving friends that dive and, you know, cave dive and do all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm like somebody else who looks at me, you know, like, why would you want to do that? That's so, that feels so awful to me. And, but, now you've got me thinking about this in a totally different way <laughs> that I might actually consider this like going through that experience just to be able to get to the sharks, you know, and, and oh, that's amazing. That whole process would be, I think, very transformative for me. It, and you can start in small steps, you know, you could start with snorkeling with whale sharks or nurse sharks and just get comfortable with the mask and the snorkel. I remember we're a nose breather. So one of the things that people feel claustrophobic about is having to breathe through your mouth. Think about when you have a cold and you're constantly breathing through your mouth, how uncomfortable you are. So uh, by we are um, basically uh, un- unconscious breathers. We don't need, sorry, we don't have a conscious breath. We don't have to think about breathing. Involuntary breathing, excuse me. I do apologize to those listening because like, oh, this is terrible scientific or we're involuntary breathers, right? But we're nose breather, not mouth breather. So with scuba diving, some people find a little bit uh, kind of like a bed having to have their nose enclosed in the mask and having to breathe through their mouth. So there's a step earlier. You can learn how to snorkel with a mask and a snorkel and then you can lift your head out of the water and relax and then try again and then slowly move into the uh, scuba diving scuba diving world so hopefully you'll give it a try maybe you can come and we can work on this together yeah that would be amazing i would just freaking love it what you need to learn is to be uh forgiving with yourself and patient and don't just put up a pile of expectations on yourself just go with, with what nature is and what it is. And the little steps that you do are the biggest steps for you. And they're amazing. You know, it doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. Is what have you accomplished from yesterday to today or in the last three months? And it's like, wow, this is 
amazing for me. I don't care what you think. Yeah, maybe I will never, you know, climb Mount Everest. I have a lot of problems with fear of heights. And when I think about the Hillary steps, I'm like, <laughs> I don't think I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's like, uh, if you think about yoga discipline, when it's done correctly, it's not about how you can reach your uh, forehead with your toes in a scorpion position. Is If you can do a back bend that is... Uh, half an inch a quarter of an inch more than the other day if while you do a forward bend you actually can feel that there is a relief in your back good for you you don't touch the ground well doesn't matter that forward bend is beneficial to you at that level and so that's what i tell people with scuba diving don't put huge expectations go baby steps and see where you are give it a try Take it as slow. Find maybe one-on-one instructors. If that is a block, you know, maybe you can don't go with the eight people class. Go with the one-on-one. Put in a little bit extra time. Yeah, no, that's good. And I think my experience going through the fear of jumping out of a plane definitely can, I think it will support. I'll come uh, and visit you to get over that fear because I haven't jumped out of a plane yet. Yes, it is awesome. <laughs> Gonna try it. Oh, that's great. Well, um, anything that you want to say to our audience, any advice you want to give? The advice I want to give is to follow your heart. And I know it sounds like cliche, so let me explain that a little bit better. You need to uh, pick a path that makes you want to I come out of bed every day to work towards your your goal, whichever that goal is. And in the process, it makes you want to learn more. With an understanding there might be something you have to learn that is not really your cup of tea, but you go for it. And then in that follow your heart, um, make sure that you find pleasure and it is exciting, and that you feel that uh, that day has been uh, worth it. Whatever the worth is, it doesn't mean you have to publish a book or anything like that. That's what I'm trying to say. Forgive yourself and be patient with yourself. Those are the other two that go with, uh, you know, follow your heart. And those are the, the biggest suggestion I can do. And then remember, there is your path and your path only. Some people are there to help you. Some people may be able to direct you, but you're the only one that can walk your path. I can tell you, yes, that's the way. Or Don't forget, you'd have to turn left, but you are the one that has to put the steps on the trail in order to, to go where you, where you wish to go. Step out of conformism. Stop thinking about what you should do and thinking about what you want to do. Um, and I'm not talking about in a selfish way, but in a in an enriching way, because the more complete you are, the, the 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 more comfortable you are within yourself. The more actually you can share with others, and you can give others, and you can build with others. So the more you make yourself full, the more you can actually uh, do with other people, and that could be either through training or education or relationships or whatever it is. Sorry, it's a long advice, I know. <laughs> no, it's perfect advice, actually. So with all the work you do in the ocean and with these beautiful animals, what requests do you have for our audience? What way can they support you and your work? They're direct 
and in direct ways by which they could support. Um, the indirect ways is the, the one thing I ask, please start learning about sharks and please start learning about the meaning of the word shark, which encompasses over 522 species. So educate yourself and then uh, share a little bit of that education with someone else. It can be just one person next to you. But it's the star thrower effect, right? You do something for someone and that someone transferred to someone else. On a more direct level is uh, the work that I've been doing and I continue to do even during these times is usually personally financed. And I've created a little uh, nonprofit to support with acquiring some of the expensive gear and some of the things that I have to do, like education, outreach programs, uh, uh, communications, as well as uh, uh, tools that I have to use when I go exploring the caves and mapping the caves, which is, are related with uh, park, marine protected area, shark conservation. And uh, it's called People of the Water. It's pownonprofit.org. You can click on it and see the work we do. I know right now it's a little bit of a hard time, but any little bit helps. If you can financially help, please share. Uh, please go and look at our uh, blog and our videos and uh, just transfer it to someone else so maybe can, somebody can donate some money to help us continue this work that we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to put that all over the Facebook page and as well as in the description of the podcast um, so that you can grab it from wherever you are and just click donate and send some money over to Christina to be able to do this awesome work with animals and helping our oceans. So thank you thank so you much. Grace. Yeah. Thank you for thank being you. here. It was an awesome interview. I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun. That was Christina Zanato, lover and healer of sharks. You can help Christina with her efforts by donating to People of the Water at pownonprofit.org. And you can visit her down in the Grand Bahama and swim with the sharks for an opportunity to transform yourself. To find out more, visit her webpage at Christina, C-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-Z-E-N-A-T-O.com. So I invited you in the beginning to think about how you see sharks and dolphins. Is your perception different now? If so, how? Take a minute and think about this. Now go back to the one thing that is true about a situation that's bothering you. How can you transfer what you learned on the show today to that situation? Here are some things to consider and be honest with yourself. It's an opportunity to unstick yourself and be effective in your life. Are you judging a book by its cover? Is your belief about the situation accurate? How do you know? Could there be more to the story? What about your life? Are you selecting your bite carefully? Is the ticket price worth it? What do you want to bite into and not let go of? And how will that serve you? And lastly, what future do you want to create? And what will you sacrifice for it? Thank you for joining us on this adventurous journey with Christina and her sharks. I look forward to hearing your comments and questions. So leave us a message on our anchor page or on Facebook at what it takes to be wild. If you enjoyed this show, please take a second right now, like right this second, go to your app and rate us. Rate us on that app so we can reach more listeners. In our next episode on June 1st, we interview Bridget, a horse whisperer. 
and she facilitates transformation between horses and people. We're really excited to be exploring these new territories with how humans and animals can help each other, can relate to each other, and can really help bring us back to reality and who we are and what matters in life. Until next time, be bold and be wild.